Today, I talk with Blair Wang. Blair is a lecturer in business information systems at the University of Sydney Business School. His research takes a critical theoretic perspective on emerging digital practices, such as digital nomadism and the digital futures of work. His research has been disseminated in top IS journals and conferences. Today with Blair, I talk about his journey in philosophy and how he combines it with his research. We talk about how to make people aware about the idea, how to come to the idea, about the need of making the click and much more. With this, it is my pleasure to bring you our colleague Blair Wank. Good morning, good afternoon, Blair. Uh, it's a pleasure having you at the Sickville uh, podcast. Thank you, and um, I hope you have a nice time in uh, Australia and you are, let's say, ready to talk about your philosophical adventures in information systems uh, field. How are you? I'm well, thank you, and um, good morning, good evening to yourself and anyone anyone listening in um all over the world i guess yes, yeah, it's, a, yes. it's a wet and humid day here in sydney australia <laughs> nice we are we have a lot of um folk and uh, let's say cold here in macedonia so it's uh in your place is actually getting summer in our place is uh, getting winter i think so Yes, yes. Okay. <laughs> the world so, we live in. Yeah, the world we live in and we just talk to it. And I think that one of the things that we can actually start is about, um, can you give a little bit short introduction how you got involved in philosophical thinking? Um, you are just finishing your PhD. Um, did you, is, was, was this through your PhD or earlier thinking? So what, what is your, let's say, experience in this? Yeah, definitely. Um, I guess in a certain perspective, everybody is a philosopher, right? Everyone has an epistemology. Yeah. Maybe they don't use that word, but uh, certainly when we look at how people think about the world and some people having um, different perspectives on science and information, uh, most people have an epistemology, but uh, systematically looking at, or I shouldn't say systematically, um, re really scrutinizing one's epistemology is something that I've come across in in my PhD. Um, yep. To me, the, the name PhD, you know, it, philosophy doctor, doctor of philosophy. I I take that quite literally, um, and I guess that's a big part of it as well. Yeah, and you you actually started um, you, know, you were let's say interaction with uh, philosophy philosophy through the PhD courses, or you were actually uh, let's say interested before that or afterwards, and how did you expand your knowledge about philosophy? Yeah, that's a, a question that I've been asking myself in preparation for this call as well. I um, was listening to some of the other guests on this wonderful podcast of yours. And I noticed that some people, you know, that in their country, I remember Jan Recker saying like in Germany, everyone studies philosophy yeah. and thinking that is not a thing in Australia. <laughs> um, maybe it should be. I think it should be. Uh, I was quite fortunate because in, in my high school, there was that pathway where you could spend your summer holidays um, studying philosophy with with the nearby university and that was definitely influential but I never actually thought that it would be you know something I would do for my profession yeah. um, and even in my earlier like honors research in IS I never really thought that that would be a big part of it 
Um, but for my PhD, certainly, and I think part of it is due to uh, here at uh, in Sydney, the universities, they do have these, these coursework um, units that the PhD students have mm -hmm. to complete. Uh, but I think another big part would be my PhD supervisors. Shout out to uh, Dubravka, Daniel and Michael. Um, I think yep. Dubravka was actually featured on this podcast and she, yeah. the way she would speak on in that episode of this podcast is the same way she would speak to us. Um, and it was definitely very inspiring. And I'm quite fortunate to be her PhD student. So it's actually now what, what we see is that if you were studying in, um, um, let's say, uh, another university, it might not be such depth in-depth involvement in the in the in the PhD no, in the philosophical let's say uh, discourse but now with your mentors and uh, let's say and colleagues you were I assume engaging in different this ontological epistemological um, how to say um, experience in, in 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 let's say exchanging ideas what could be is this helpful for a PhD student not only reading courses and books but also more or less engaging in discussion with with uh, let's say with people on these topics absolutely i i admire this podcast uh, that you've set up because it's called philosophical dialogues and i think so much of not just our information but our motivation to engage in certain kinds of thought do have to come from our social interactions with people um, it's, it's a huge encouragement to be able to even speak with you right now and just talk about these things and, and to have, I'm quite privileged and thankful to have that kind of opportunity. Uh, here in Sydney, there's a, a few IS scholars who are quite interested in this kind of talk. And um, it's not something that uh, otherwise someone in their late 20s like myself would get the opportunity to talk about these things. Uh, books are great, but, um, you know, it's awesome when the book can reply back in real time. <laughs> and what do you what do you let's say because now you know i i um for example when i talk with people and then you read the books etc you talk to people etc and you start uh, for me it's uh, at least you start reflecting and trying to see okay how this uh, let's say perspective philosophical or this let's say uh, opinion actually can be um maybe changed, improved, adjust to fit, let's say, where I am in my context or in my, let's say, research. Is this something that you, because you were, you were also having, uh, let's say, uh, sharing your uh, opinions and ideas through publications. So my, my question is that, what is your perspective from, a, let's say, um, just finishing your PhD in transforming these uh, dialogues and these uh, discussions with colleagues that are more experienced and translating that or transforming that in, um, how to say, in your own ideas that you can share it with the world through publication or your, you have the, your own 10-minute uh, uh, podcast? What is your experience on this? Yes, yeah, so I guess this question is about um, a few things, one of them being contributing back to the body of knowledge and another being how do we make use of the knowledge at all? Uh, to me, these are very different uh, uh, challenges. Um, I guess the, the, the latter one is one that I've been thinking about because I think uh, recently another guest on your podcast was reflecting on whether we are consumers or producers of philosophy. Yeah. Um, and I think of myself more as a wholesaler you know, or, or a retailer where a lot of, I was, I was listening to that episode while going for a walk uh, nearby mm -hmm. and was walking next to a cafe. And I thought, I mean, you think about this cafe and they 
produce something. They produce coffee and, and we consume yeah. that, but they also sell products made by other places. And yeah. I guess um, reflecting on being someone at the end of their PhD, soon to be working as a lecturer, um, I feel like a lot of what we do as scholars is actually something kind of like the the wholesaler uh, work yeah. where we, 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 certainly there's contributions that we make, but a lot of yeah. what we're teaching our students, our curriculum is, kind of like the cafe owner who's who's selling you coffee beans that someone else has made, but saying, I endorse this view, or at the very least, uh, I think this is something that you should be aware of. So uh, sometimes I feel that the contribution we make is is just making other people aware of these things. But yeah. going back to your first point about making that contribution, I think that's where um, some of the, the sort of integrative work with the philosophy that we we read about and the IS phenomenon that we reflect on and engage with, putting that together, that's a it's a very different kind of challenge, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and it, it takes time, you know. What I, and that is what a lot of people start saying is that if you want to uh, make uh, contributions, especially in this um, philosophical, let's say, aspects, uh, it takes time, and it's when it's because it's sometimes very conceptual work, and the, it needs a different type of writing. There is, uh, let's say, lacking of clear templates or scripts in a way that can help you to, let's say, guide you in this scheme, which you can actually fill in the, the things. And then let's say, okay, this is my philosophical contribution, vice versa, the empirical, where actually you more or less have this script or this um, template that you can follow and you you might find let's say what i always say look for a new developing field and try to apply probably an established a proven methodology to this developing field and then boom you can have the uh, the, the uh, publication or if done appropriately okay uh, but with philosophical let's say um work it takes time and you need to do let's say a lot of um, argumentation on the on the conceptual and then let's say uh, abstracting a lot and you publish papers like that so my question is and i always get this um, uh, discussion is that well i'm now a senior and i can uh, i can do whatever i want because i i have gotten my tenure i have this publication but i can do philosophical thinking which actually takes me a lot of time it's actually one uh, i i don't know have i mentioned this to to do this podcast but when i was a phd student i had this uh uh work group roundtable and i had one one of my papers and one of the senior scholars that was actually giving feedback of this paper said well you write a paper like this before you die so you don't write it in the beginning of your career <laughs> so uh my question is that the, the assumption from her side was that you actually do this because it will take you a lot of time it will get a lot of time rejected so you don't have time to spend on 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 this and my you, you publish papers like this even now when you're a PhD student and you're finishing your PhD. So how, how did you decide that you will get involved in this? You do also empirical work, but how did you decide that you will devote time and how is this process for you at this stage? Uh, yeah, that, that one comment that you mentioned there, mm -hmm. um, I, I certainly resonate with that um, to an extent. Uh, an anecdote I'll share is that my wife is also doing a PhD, but she's doing hers in vision science. And so, you know, very, um, a lot more in the, the natural sciences, medical sciences tradition where um, not, I don't know if there's necessarily a, a clear and cut 
template, but there's certainly a known way to do things um, yeah. efficiently. Um, <laughs> and you know, she'll she'll talk about instruments, right? So yeah. maybe thermometer is an instrument, but um, a, a particular survey with Likert scale is an instrument. And then yeah. when I think about what we're doing when we try to write these quite, shall we say, philosophical papers, we are the instrument. And um, <laughs> you know, sometimes you'll be looking at me, you know, we've been sort of locked down on and off yeah. here in Sydney during the pandemic. Um, and she'll look at me and she'll see almost that my eyes are glazed over and she'll say, you're philosophizing, you're in thinking mode <laughs> um, because we, we do this thing, right? We have to. Um, but I guess uh, one, uh, the essence of one of the things you're asking there is how to make this productive. And certainly yeah. as a PhD student, you know, you have a, a particular timeline that you have to finish by. Um, I think one thing that's helped is that uh, certainly here in IS probably we're benefiting from the fact that everyone's thinking and philosophizing about technology anyway. Um, yeah. And a lot of the big topics just happen to involve thinking about the role of technology in society. I originally, yeah. when I started my PhD, wasn't sure that it would be particularly philosophical in that regard. Mm -hmm. um, and and the, one of the things that one of my supervisors, actually all my supervisors uh, encouraged me to think about was critical theory. Yeah. Um, I don't know if critical theory is technically philosophy in the sense of epistemology and ontology, but it's certainly social philosophy, yeah. um, questioning yeah. the social world. Yeah. And at first I was kind of thinking, I, I, don't, I don't know, uh, um, <laughs> it's quite new to it. But one of the things, uh, one of the classic writings in critical theory is um, Theodore Adorno and Max Horkheimer's Dialectic of Enlightenment, and they write about what they call the culture industry. Yeah. And I remember first reading it thinking, this, this seems a bit removed from you know what our life in the 2020s and the, but there's this part where they talk about like you know what what life is like in late capitalism and the experience of consumerism and yeah. at the same time i look at my other friends in their 20s and the way we interact with, and engage with instagram for example and, and yeah. other social media platforms and thinking my goodness theodore odono max horkheimer you guys are, are prophetic here yeah. absolutely prophetic because the things that they're writing about so many decades ago still resonate probably yeah. even more so now that it's been accelerated by technology. And it's, um, you know, it's, it's the sort of the, the Christmas holidays right now. And uh, some of our family members a bit younger that like kids watching TV or Netflix. And even I was watching a children's film with some, some family uh, connections and it was about, I think it was called Ron's gone wrong. It was about this children's animated film about robots and the film is really like philosophizing about the nature of technology. Um, so in a sense, I think we're quite blessed if we have a liking for philosophy because it's kind of a big issue in IS right yeah. now. You, you, you remind me just to, to give a joke when I see it's like when you understand, it, it takes some time to understand it, at least for me, it took some time to understand different uh, streams and then when you understand them actually you're able to use them as a lens to identify or let's say um, uh, unfit and understand what is uh, happening in the empirical world so it's in in a way the philosophy uh, although it's rather abstract in some some extent depending on the writer uh, but what when you understand it in a way, uh, sometimes you don't understand it as, as, as you think you should, but then you can actually advise your um, 
let's say, inform your empirical research, empirical endeavor, let's say, how to approach this problem, is it this um, appropriate and isn't this uh, uh, appropriate way? And my question in this regard, what is your appropriate way? Do you, do you have now, uh, based on your work and based on your research, do you, do you have some, let's say, philosophy that you think um, it's you can use it more, let's say, readily in your research, in your performing your empirical research? Hmm. Big, big question. Um, I guess there's, there's a <laughs> You don't need of... to answer it if it goes... Uh, against something here <laughs> i guess there's the notion of um to have a philosophy singular form or to yep. the the act of philosophizing um i guess more towards the latter the word philosophy coming from you know the etymology of it philosophia the, the love of wisdom yep. um and certainly anyone can be a lover of wisdom um as for a particular philosophy, um, there, there are certainly many out there. I do find that um, there are some philosophies or, or, or philosophical works that I've um, resonated more with, probably by nature of the fact that um, th there was a topic that a lot of us here are researching here in Sydney, uh, digital nomadism. And so we've got a bit of a working group. Um, that in that My PhD is supervised by uh, profs and we there are other PhD students and so philosophy is a big part of all of our work but um, you know one of my colleagues and peers uh, he, he'll be looking at um, process philosophy and, and Tim Ingold another one yeah. will be looking at post-colonialism and these are these are all entirely different um, yeah. but why this specific one and, and when I listen to my colleague Julian um, talk about Tim Ingold uh, it's interesting to me but perhaps it doesn't resonate with my particular um issues that I'm looking at at a particular moment. And there was yeah. a job interview I was in recently and they asked about, you know, uh, what motivates you? And I said, passion. And in the literal sense of passion being like suffering, um, <laughs> because there are certain things that I, I, I look at the world and, I, and suffer in the sense of, man, this is messed up, <laughs> that kind of suffering. <laughs> yeah. um, and maybe there are certain things that I take issues with and maybe there are other people, they look at the world and there's things that they take issues with. And when yeah. I think about the philosophy, um, it's it's almost like, what can we say to something like that um, outside of the empirical work that we already do? One of the things yeah. that I don't know if anyone yeah. else, any other guests on the podcast have asked mm -hmm. you, but um, what do you think we're talking about when we talk about philosophy? Well, I would talk about philosophy. You know, I, you know how I started with my... Um, Oh, okay, uh, you you got me unprepared now. You know, I was just Sorry. listening, listening, <laughs> and I just was thinking what the next question should be, what the next question should be, and then bam, you came with a question. My apologies. But, uh, no, 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 no problem. But uh, actually, how with the philosophy? Um, you know how I came with um, with this uh, idea about philosophies. My PhD was about modeling learning and mm. about modeling uh, tacit and uh, let's say informal aspects of the of the of the learning and the changes that it's actually combines. And then I needed to see that okay, how you combine tacit uh, and formal and informal um, tacit and explicit uh, aspects, because 
when I, I I do a lot of did a lot of consultancy in, in the past, and uh, when I went uh, to the companies and you talk with the companies and then you see that there is gossip, there is let's say a power related issues. There were let's things which you never see them on the questionnaire or let's say the interviews you do, but you see them in while you are waiting in the lobby and just having a afterward chit chat uh, if the lady or the the guy with which you talk likes you you go uh, drink coffee afterwards and then you find all these informal aspects so based on this i said okay um i will go to the um to to explore all the literature so i read a lot and i still read extremely a lot so i read all this literature that is connected to knowledge to learning etc to actually find out all, what is this but then i needed to to generalize and to abstract it and my uh, i found out that uh, generalizing to a theory in a way um, let's say mid-range theory if you want uh, it was not mm. sufficient for me because the, and that is a problem i have now because the mid-range will need to define the boundaries um, you need to clearly identify the variables depending which type of theory you go for but more or less you need to define the context where this applies and i found that there is these things that go over different contexts you know because you can go that in knowledge but the same problem is in a different discipline in medicine etc for example if you read all the literature in in organizational sciences you will see that more or less the topics are we are not uh, contributing to the practice we are not having strong theories blah 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 you see all these problems are in different fields they are discussing them all the time so there are there must be something above that and then i start reading that and my philosophy to go is actually uh, in that period of time and i'm combining it is like mainly bunge mario bunge so actually my my core entrance so i have read almost all the books of mario bunke and mario bunke is hard but is uh, hard uh, yeah, he writes abstract but he's clear he knows he, when he says something you know what he means you know and i think he devoted too much time in his life he had a very long life that's true uh, in making this so my based on this my philosophy is actually in a way i have very simple um, approach is that you need to create uh, something abstract that will cross uh, domains, that will actually be more um, uh, making, uh, informing or guiding um, individuals, doesn't matter from which discipline they come. So, for example, if I go before what you mentioned it, you see something which is written 30, 40 years, it goes now and it's implies uh, in the social media, etc. how uh, people, let's say, on culture. And my idea is like, um, of philosophy is like that. And now I, I'm a little bit smarter. So I try to chop down all these things which I have in my, built in my, let's say, meta logic in the, in, in the, in providing this, uh, this abstraction I use mainly, I work now a lot of reasoning and let's say um, outliers of the, uh, which are not, let's say, uh, the main things happening, but people informing based on my innovation research, informing or emerging, uh, and I research them, and I try to publish, not successfully, to be honest, in top journals, but I try to publish this by piecemeal, by piecemeal. So in, in a bottom line, my philosophy aspects is that you need to 
let's say, provide a generalization that can be used, find useful in different uh, uh, contexts, in different uh, domains. And in empirical, uh, I try to, let's say, very narrow it down. And here I mix like critical realism and maybe you can say interpretivism uh, for a very concrete uh, context, which is for, in my case, developing uh, countries and let's say, Things like that. So that is my, I don't know, did I make it clear? Mm -hmm. I, I usually talk, ask people to be clearer, but I, uh, th that is how I see, in a way, philosophy. And that is what I do. I try to get a very broad knowledge and then I try to provide. And that is why I have this dilemma that we need to provide back to the philosophy. And then mm -hmm. you can provide that only if you abstract what is happening in information systems to a more general, let's say, uh, patterns that you can actually fit in and other scholars can use it in their in their research yeah yeah i find that very insightful what you were saying because i guess one of the the challenges of talking about philosophy in, in is is that me, for many uh scholars for many phd students researchers lecturers uh, we come across philosophy i mean very prominently when we read about the philosophy of science and scientific yeah. method how to do research but um, as I was reflecting just before, you know, you know this, this podcast recording, we started at 9 a.m. your time, 7 yep. p.m. my time. So I had a whole day to think about this <laughs> um, and I was reflecting on it and thinking, because most people would, would jump to something like critical realism or maybe interpretivism. And I was thinking my most, the, the philosophy that I, I hold on to most dearly is critical theory, which is not particularly a, a philosophy of epistemology nor a philosophy of ontology got elements yeah. of those but it's primarily about the social world some people might say it, it's more sociology than philosophy but I was thinking well philosophy means the love of wisdom um, and if I love wisdom and I love this particular wisdom why why isn't this philosophy yeah. and I was kind of intuitively coming to something that you just articulated much more clearly which is that it's something that's uh, enduring from time yeah. to time from place to place uh, discipline to discipline something enduring um, and then suddenly I'm allowed to say that, yes, critical theory is philosophy and I'm allowed to talk about it today on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, we, we discussed previously when we, we before the recording, etc. We, we, I never, um, I, I think that you, every, everyone can make, everybody can make in if aims should make uh, uh, contributions. But these developments which we are seeing and etc., that doesn't mean that this is my perspective that we blindly apply a theory and use it in eyes, etc. But I always and this is based on the system logic we have in the information systems, is that you need to look back, you know, you need to feedback in the in the fields. And it's not it's not normal for me that the whole world is digitalized. The impact of information systems, I'm not talking information technology, but the impact of information system is present in every part of the world, in every domain, more or less. You know, now we are expanding to the space and goes up there. So my, my thinking is that if we have this empirical uh, presence or why we don't try to uh, leapfrog and say something about uh, within the philosophy. And if you use critical realism, interpretivism, positivism, or um, 
critical studies, it doesn't matter. This is a, a quest in a way in which you can make uh, 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 co contributions in, in, in a way. And then the time will tell. And sometimes uh, something is proposed, but it comes eminent after 20, 30 years or it's used later. So I, I, I encourage everybody and uh, you including just to suffer, you know, follow your passion. <laughs> Because in a way, it's uh, it's uh, it takes it takes time, and this time, can you explain me how you actually more some concrete process? How you you say okay, I'm I'm going to uh, use the critical approach, and I'm I'm going to take these aspects, and I'm going to look on this event, or how how you apply it to your publications here in your research in this way? Yeah, so concretely. I think yeah. what, part of the process is just, yeah. it's almost like trying on different shirts, right? I should yeah. say trying on different glasses because it's a lens that allows you to see the world. Yeah. Uh, um, you, you know, you, you maybe this is because my wife is doing a PhD in vision science, but it's like yeah. you, you try on a pair of glasses and suddenly actually the world's a lot blurrier. Uh, maybe I'll try on this one. And now it's like the world is clear, but very, very dark or something. <laughs> um, I think it's a little bit like that. Uh, we are studying digital nomadism in this research group here. Um, headed by Professor Daniel Schlagwein. And, um, you know, we'll look at some particular phenomenon of the digital nomads, maybe their work patterns. Um, and we put on, let's say, the lens of Habermas's uh, communicative uh, action, action theory. Yeah. And, and there are certain things we can see, but then maybe we think, okay, now let's try on uh, early Frankfurt School, Theodore Adorno, Max Horkheimer, and yeah. we see a different set of things. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the actual process was quite dialogue driven so it's you know we, we have our research group meetings and i try to present a particular idea for a paper and get feedback and sometimes it's quite candid to say well that's not that's not particularly uh persuasive or insightful that way but what about this other thing go back to the drawing board try that again so i feel that it is a bit iterative in a way mm -hmm. um, and trying on different ways of seeing the world so it's hard to commit to, I think one of the things that you speak about with your other guests is, you know, do you, do you are there certain philosophies that you hang tight to, certain philosophers, or do yeah. you move around a bit? And I think uh, I, I have to move around, otherwise, you know, certain viewpoints for certain things. Uh, having said that, I mean, I'm talking about critical theory because it's, it's a particular way of looking at the world that I'm interested in, yeah. but kind of stumbled across um, dialectics. Because a lot of people here in IS are currently now interested in dialectical thinking, yeah. um, uh, but in different contexts, right? So there was a that famous paper um, about dialectics and, and cybersecurity. Yeah. But then thinking about, okay, this is maybe it's a bit of a stretch to say that dialectics is a particular philosophy, but it's certainly a, a thinking device to look at the world. Yeah. So um, sometimes it's like, layering glasses on right or, or trying on yeah. shirts on top of shirts uh, combinations of different things and that that helped us form um that journal of the ais piece about the factory paradigm yeah. uh, so that was dialectics but that was also a, like a, a critical perspective on established ways of doing knowledge work given that um, so much of the way that we do knowledge work is just hangovers from the industrial revolution and now digital changes everything so uh, without going too much into that that paper uh, i guess yeah. the, the concrete process was trying things on a lot yeah. of the time things didn't work eventually something clicked a little bit and then combining that with something else that clicks and then 
kind of writing through everything. And you know, this is when 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 you were uh, talking and listening, listening, and for example, like on these workshops or let's say research meetings where you have people, you, you come with the idea. And people say, okay, I use this uh, philosophy or this theory, etc. And then they ask you why, probably, and then they, they, you need to explain it. And then you argument it. And I have the feeling that, like, for example, because there is different streams, different theories, different philosophies, etc., which you can actually, as you mentioned it, uh, uh, different glasses so you can alter your vision or let's say make more clear, more dark, etc. Some of the, like you mentioned, Instagram people of Instagram made a bunch of money based on this filtering, you know, <laughs> just putting different filters so they can make in the early days a picture a little bit gray, a picture a little bit uh, lighter or something like that. So now you need to defend it. And I, I always, uh, with these conceptual papers, is like where you need to um build a solid case of argumentation you know so if you are let's say coming up with um, for example in digital nomadism you come up with uh, dialectics you know and then uh you say i'm going to combine this what's happening and then somebody will ask why and you need to build the arguments you know you need to say okay maybe this was used there and this was let's say it fits these touch points which they have in in between etc do you do you think that actually argumentation is problematic in this philosophical let's say uh, justification of approaches for using and uh, for certain field and how you actually at the end decided that this is the, the, the lens which I'm going to use to ex explain, let's say, or look upon this, this empirical uh, event. Or you don't have so much or argumentation uh, issues. I'm just trying to see how the argumentation can be fit in the writing a uh, philosophical, let's say, contribution. Yeah, um, I, I'm going to try to answer this, but please do let me know if I've misunderstood the question. <laughs> yeah, no problem, um, yeah. I remember there was one one meeting we had, and um, I had proposed I think some combination of two philosophy philosophical frameworks, and I, I said to my supervisor, my PhD supervisor, do you think this is a good combination? And they kind of looked at me funny and, and said, you know, the the proof is in the pudding. And I thought, yeah. what, what, what pudding? Um, <laughs> by which the, the the metaphor there is, well, try it out, right? Yeah. <laughs> Basically, the advice given to me was, yeah, great that you have this this particular philosophy. Great that you can defend the philosophy itself. But does it give us something that we can better understand the phenomenon that you're trying to talk about here? Yeah. Um, so, for example, I, I could look at it. I could look at digital nomadism from the philosophical perspective of. Um, let's say, uh, different ways of organizing an institution. Um, yeah. But maybe for my particular data set about this particular IS phenomenon, it just doesn't do anything for me, unfortunately. Maybe if someone else had a different data set about the same um, uh, phenomenon, that yeah. they will be able to see something. So a lot of it, and I guess part of the the thing here is it is trying to use philosophy um, as, as a consumer, I guess, to, to understand a phenomenon. And maybe that's a bit different to people who, um, I guess, are, are writing more theoretical papers about like how we should be doing research in a particular way, where I guess there yeah. are certain axiomatic assumptions that we have to make. And um, it's, it's almost more reminiscent of the sort of philosophy of science, like 
positivism, interpretivism, whereas I guess the the work that I've been doing as part of my PhD is more anchored to this particular digital phenomenon. Yeah. And what I, uh, uh, I'm just uh, uh, making a note in it, what you, a follow-up, you, you just gave it a very excellent, uh, uh, let's say, overview or a sharing experience. It's not only the argumentation, but is it useful and does it make click, you know, to the, to using this philosophy where we are talking now to like a consumer, you know, because very often you can, uh, I, I haven't, I have tried this one. Uh, it's, uh, there is one, this translation, uh, let's say, approach uh, where you say, okay, you have the text and then take the words from the text and put different words and put different uh, philosophies and different, etc., and see what will come out, you know, hmm. and you, you, you don't create a pudding, but you, uh, <laughs> create a hodgepodge uh, how to, i don't know it's that uh, you, when you put everything in together and to see what what uh, will it work but this is in a way does it make a click because um just uh, roaming through different uh, let's say philosophical planes and then taking what it, what you think it could work but doesn't make click it doesn't move uh, uh, forward in in a way i think that you need to find a way to make it click uh, with what you are uh, researching. And that might be sometimes um, needed to be clearly stated in, in a way to argumentation or just justification. And my question is in this, this way, when you are saying, okay, I decided to use this, do you make it that clear in your papers when you're writing? How much time do you devote to the, um, let's say, uh, explaining in... Uh, or let's say an empirical paper that is approached based on used a method that is based on some uh, let's say inspired by or fits some philosophy and how much you actually explicate that in the paper you just write a sentence uh, paragraph two pages or something like that what is your uh, experience sorry first <laughs> yeah no what is your experience in this regard how you explicate your let's say, philosophical positions in you in the papers where you are actually consumer of the philosophy and try to fit it in the, in the, in the, in the, in the problem you're trying to solve. Yes, yeah, so, uh, certainly at least a, a paragraph. I guess mm-hmm. um, more broadly, I was reflecting on what you were saying about translation. Because yeah. I think a lot of the, the use of philosophical ideas in IS research is almost, uh, to give an analogy, like when we do borrow loan words from other languages because um, the philosophy gives us a vocabulary to talk about something. And then that, that vocabulary just really works well for that context. So for example, in English, uh, we we kind of borrowed or stole the German word Schadenfreude because we don't have a word to describe the feeling that that particular feeling that Schadenfreude um, describes or another one. um, The French talk about Esprit d'Escalier, like the the spirit of the staircase. Like when you're going, after leaving a meeting about three yeah. minutes later, you think of the perfect thing that you should have said. Um, yeah. <laughs> like we, in English, we don't have a word for that and we really yeah. should. So then we kind of borrow the French one. So I think in, in IS research, sometimes we kind of treat philosophy kind of like a foreign language that we can borrow a term from because it helps explain the, the issue that we're talking about here almost better than 
if we had to construct or reinvent yeah. the wheel for that particular idea um and then but then it's the, uh, the 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 burden is on the writer uh, the author of the research paper to say i'm gonna use this concept let's say um weber's concept of ideal types uh, that's yeah. one of the the concepts that i love and i keep using because it just it works so well for the phenomena that i research and every yeah. paper it's almost like the exact same text like weber's ideal types in yeah. brackets weber 1904 is about <laughs> blah 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 blah, blah. <laughs> so it's almost a challenge to make sure that it's not exactly the same text every time yeah so it doesn't got the uh, self uh, let's say yeah. identification problems <laughs> yeah which is actually usually okay because i guess we we contextualize it in the particular phenomenon yeah um so for example in that journal of ais piece from last year we treat uh digital nomadism um and the digital nomad as an ideal type and that's that's representing a not just a cohort of people but a, a way of working right yeah. other times ideal types might be a particular persona so thankfully uh, there's there's uh, different diverse ways of using these yeah. ideas yeah. and what is happening now this um, let's say uh, type of digital uh, natives and uh, no, digital nomadism not natives so digital nomadism it's accented now with the covid-19 i think a lot mm-hmm. of people will not be be willing to come and become stationary in certain places because now you can actually get a real taste what it means to move around with your uh, technology and be present in different uh, places so it might actually now see how digital nomadism is interacting with covid-19 and how did it supported i it's just this is a let's say side note while you were talking and explaining it and you know what I, we work also together sometimes on some reviews and uh, um, let's say and um, ideas and my my thinking is that what what will you let's say freshly share to 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 the scholars that are let's say starting their phd now or thinking about their phd what, what did you get a positive experience by let's say using philosophy in strengthening your you move to a new university now uh, using your let's say philo- did it help you to become a better scholar let's say or let's i don't know to be market uh, uh, wanted scholar did, did, do you have the feeling now that it helped you to to achieve this uh, did, or it's actually constrained you in your let's say uh, aspirations to within the time frame which you have as a phd student to do what you is expected to be done from you and then uh, create value that will be recognized uh, by other universities or university for let's say employment prospects tenure prospects what is what is your think about this what do you think did it create value for you or not it's whatever you answer is a good answer <laughs> <laughs> hmm, I, i was actually as as uh, as you were mentioning that i was thinking of three possible answers <laughs> uh, the first possible answer is basically all the other guests on this podcast have been so phenomenal and just have such great advice um uh, de- definitely i think that they gave great answers to this kind of question but reflecting on my own journey in the past couple of years you know being a phd student and personally um my phd is is not exactly light on philosophy it's got quite a bit of it and some of my colleagues as well so if i were to speak to someone sort of following in this tradition of a phd that that really emphasizes the ph of the phd you know really yeah. philosophy heavy 
um, sometimes it's encouraging to speak to other people who are doing this kind of work because, uh, you know, sometimes when we start a, a PhD um, journey and the other people on the journey are sort of doing more experiments or surveys, that kind of work where uh, it's not easy, but it's certainly that there's a particularly well-known trajectory you you, you yeah. do your literature review you design the instrument you know there's a, a good sense of where you're meant to be up to it's, yeah. it's a bit harder to do um to to follow that timeline if you're doing philosophical work because it's a completely different progression yeah. um yeah. and sometimes it's it's helpful to know that that's not wrong <laughs> um i think a lot of the time my colleagues and i as fellow phd students whose phds are a bit more philosophical we will compare ourselves to people who, you know, they're doing that more, uh, maybe I should say traditional or um, well-known trajectory of a PhD yeah. and thinking they already have three papers published. What am I doing with my life? And it, these things do take a bit more time in the oven, so to speak. Yeah. Um, yeah. I guess the third answer. So my first answer was basically all of Miyache's other guests were awesome. Second yeah. answer, if, if they're like me and my colleagues and doing a PhD that is quite philosophical that it's it's helpful to get a sense of the different timeline my third answer would be to maybe phd students who are starting out who who know that their work isn't going to be philosophical um i I would say that it's been helpful to even know about these things different different philosophies in, in regards to epistemology ontology and the questions that we care about um, because yeah. I think one thing that Jan Recker talks about on his podcast is that we're always contributing to, to a dialogue, a discourse. Yeah. Um, and th- there are so many voices in the discourse, but if we only really know the one philosophy of the scientific method as taught to us by our PhD supervisor, then it's yeah. so hard to make sense of the rest of the discourse. And yeah. IS is an awesome community because of this, this diversity that everyone keeps talking about. But to understand that, you have to know where they're coming from. So I get a lot of pleasure out of reading about philosophies and, and papers that I know have nothing to do with my work, but it's, it's been really refreshing to just get a sense of what the community is talking about. Yeah, yeah. So it's actually, now we have this um, other voice, I would say, that um, you, you, you can do the, 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 the philosophy within your PhD because it will more or less prepare you to, let's say, better understand dialogues in the discourse in the discipline. And because the ice field is a diverse, pluralistic, uh, uh, let's say, uh, and I would say very tolerant uh, uh, field that actually enables you to more rapidly engage in different, uh, uh, let's say, discourses, but also to better understand if you want to move around different journals, different conferences, different, let's say, tracks, to better understand the point from where they are coming and uh, the views that they have. Uh, so based on this, you can actually be better prepared in the entering the field. Do, do, do you think that this is what I'm, I'm trying to summarize is, is okay or, or no? I, I like that you were able to turn my words into something a lot more clear and generalizable. Um, and I think it speaks to the fact that the this qualification that many of us have or are working towards is still called a PhD. Um, it, it's a doctorate of philosophy. It's, it's I mean, I, I tell my, my family members and friends who don't know what a PhD is about. Why is it called a doctor? I think it's like, like a surgeon who cuts, you know, and dissects or, or uh, performs surgery on 
the human body. It's like we're performing surgery on ideas. Yeah. We're sometimes we're transplanting ideas. We're looking at um, a particular issue and understanding how we might engage with this by by using or borrowing or or merging ideas from other places. A doctor yeah. of philosophy. Maybe yeah. this is a bit too uh, too, too aspirational, but I think it it helps keep me motivated when I'm working with all these ideas. And this is very. Um... Very nice, uh, let's say, analogy with the surgeon where you actually try to uh, save lives, you know, and in this save lives, you know, sometimes you need to cut, paste, add, take something from other place, etc. But the end, at the end, you bring the whole body, you know, you make contribution that this body will function as a, as a whole with these changes which you made it as a surgeon to, to it. So it's a... Uh, a doctor of philosophy is a surgeon of ideas. <laughs> yeah, or at least and, that's what we hope. <laughs> yeah, that's what what we hope. And uh, and you know, to become a surgeon, it takes a lot of time and a lot of learning and a lot of a lot of practice and a lot of uh, let's say, um, yeah, the, not a lot of failures. I would say <laughs> because <laughs> the, the, but but the, uh, that it takes time and, the, and you need to put extra uh, effort and. What do you think now? We're a little bit um, coming to uh, towards our end. And what do you think now? You 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 go. You will get your PhD within the next month or two, and then you continue with um, your academic uh, career. And my question is, like uh, a lot of people which I discuss are not majority of them were like at the ending of their careers. Some of them were in the middle and rarely starting from now, there is in the beginning of their careers. And my, my question is what you think is going to be, let's say, um, the future of ice field. And uh, it could be in general, but also in, um, let's say, in uh, philosophy uh, developments within the eyes. What is your, what is your opinion now? What, what is your outlook for the next 40 years of your work in information systems? It's a big question again, but an important one, I think. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would say that there's a lot of attention on IS scholars now. Um, yeah. Maybe not, you know, maybe not quite like Nobel laureate, that kind of epidemiological work now that it's COVID-19, yeah. but certainly society seems to be really interested in the role of technology within society. Yeah. I mean, example being like Shoshana Zuboff, surveillance capitalism, yeah. that's really taken off, right? People are so yeah. concerned about that. And I, I remember that they made a movie, uh, The Social Dilemma, out yeah. of that work that really, I mean, Shoshana Zuboff wrote about that in Journal of IT in 2015. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and now six years later, like you could walk into a pub. In Australia, we talk about walking into a pub, walking into yeah. a bar, walking into a cafe. And, and yeah. people will talk about like, hey, you know, they're talking about this, this thing. Um, yeah. I think our work, there's a lot of attention on it because of all the, 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 the role of technology being so prominent. And um, there's going to be a lot of, uh, I think, a lot to be gained from thinking yeah. about these big issues. Um, at the same time, we we're also <laughs> trying to do our work as scholars, right? Um, yeah. One thing that maybe we haven't spoken about as much, but I know that here in Australia, as part of PhD training, one thing that they get you to think about a lot is your teaching philosophy <laughs> um, uh -huh. and, and what is the role of the scholar in society. Um, and I think part of our role as IS, not just researchers or authors, but as scholars, is really to 
to have a connection with broader society. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and especially, I think, probably because during my, um, my, my three or four years of PhD, I've also been working as a, a sessional lecturer and, and engaging with and, and um, trying to be a, a, a teacher, a mentor, a scholar for first and second year undergraduate students. Yeah. 18, 19, 20 year olds who, mm. who are facing a very different world. Um, yeah. And how, how do we help them navigate that? And in a sense, get their money's worth, right? For, from investing in this thing called yeah. university or college. Yeah. Um, and I think part of that is, I mean, this actually goes back to philosophy. Um, what, what they explicitly say that they want is what the, the Greeks sort of called techne, technique, yeah. to, to learn the technical things, especially in IS. Um, they yeah. they want to learn, how do I do um, database modeling? How do I write <laughs> programming yeah. code? Um, but a lot of what they're actually really hungry for in their souls and actually what the world seems to be hungry for is that bigger picture. And yeah. if the university isn't the place to do it, then where is, right? Um, yeah. This is that golden opportunity to have an impact on the next generation of the, the society that we live in, and in particular, the leaders. Yeah. Um, so I think a big part of what we're doing is also, and this is why I love having these conversations uh, yeah. with yourself, with other scholars. Um, yeah. How do we provide them with the the interest the inspiration that these things are worth thinking about because um one day you know what i always say is we, we never know maybe the future president or prime minister or or whatever the leader of your country is maybe they're, yeah. they're sitting as a 20 year old undergraduate in your class right yeah. what would you how could you inspire them in in the highly digitized world that they will govern in 20, 30 years time. And th this is very nice what you raise it now is that very often and, and probably in this also podcast, we were um, seeing that the, our contribution is like uh, you sit, you think, you read, you write, then you publish and communicate it with, uh, with, um, with your fellow colleagues. But what you raise is very important is, is the teaching and uh, where you are actually because you are philosophy or philosophical affiliations or uh, let's say uh, and, uh, uh, affili yeah, affiliations not only structure what you research and how you look on what you research but how you teach and how you look on teaching and this is uh, I think um, a very nice thing which you which you raise it because in information systems field we by teaching, number of, of colleagues and engaging in different boards and different committees etc on different paradigms we are actually making contribution to the to the broader uh, aspects and in this way uh, i think you're right the teaching is something that we might take it in the ice field in the next uh, uh, period of time and based on that to in a way how to say think how we incorporate or explicate our philosophies, especially that now we have this situation where this is happening, a situation in which uh, the technology comes omnipresent and whoever do whatever, they will need to be aware about how, let's say, uh, technology impacts, because I think more or less now people are abandoning the idea that not abandoning, but uh, understanding that technology is not only good things, but is there is also bad things uh, that technology can uh, 
can do and can do it uh, more efficiently and in, in building an information system could be built for let's say positive but it could afford in a way let's say uh, um, let's say practicing not so appropriate uh, things to achieve like surveillance uh, which uh, is raised um, so what do you think do we need to let's say uh, start uh, in our teachings also having some philosophical aspects or, or or not not so much because if you go for example in systems analysis and uh, design when we talk about the systems and uh, we say okay the system should represent what is in the like a, explaining the representation uh, theory to the to the students yeah definitely um it's it's a fine line right because uh, yeah. by and large we're not teaching philosophy degrees yeah <laughs> <laughs> our students, they, they honestly just want to be a really good it practitioner um <laughs> But I think it helps to, yeah. at least for the, the concepts that we are, that are highly uh, connected with a lot of what we're talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, there was a big controversy recently about um, you know, the, the whole thing with climate change and some of the yeah. leaders saying, well, we're going to rely on future technology to get us there because that's what technology has always done. Yeah. And the big debate around like, why, why do they believe that technology will bring about utopia? Well, because, you know, when they went to college or university, that was the the, the yeah. thing that all the profs had that vision, right? That like yeah. it was really exciting and it still is, but um, it, the way we talk about things, not just the actual curriculum, but the way we are enthusiastic or, or cautious or yeah. hesitant or, or um, bombastic or whatever expression we have towards a particular technology. I find that um, when I read the end of semester student feedback, the students seem to remember more about how I felt towards technology or how I made them feel towards technology than about maybe some of the, uh, the facts that they had to remember or about yeah. some of the techniques they need to perform. What they get is a feeling. And yeah. that's, that's a really awesome opportunity because it means that sometimes we can inspire someone more with uh, how, we, how we talk about it rather than what we're saying about it. Yeah. But it also can be dangerous, right? If we if we always talk about a particular thing as bad or always talk yeah. about a particular thing as good um in a, in a sense society gives us a lot of credit for what we do um you know yeah. uh, oh the the mighty professor steps into the room and everyone yeah. has to listen um i think with that comes a certain responsibility that uh, we are aware that it's not just the explicit words that we say that influence the the 18 to 20 year olds who sit in our classroom but also how we say them um, and it's scary, I think, in a way, because I don't know, maybe maybe our our assessment of particular technologies, only time will tell whether they, they stand up to the test of history, but certainly we, we do our best, right, based on yeah. not only the philosophy, but also the empirical work we, we are doing to try to make sure that we're portraying things as yeah. faithfully as we can. And I think that now I, I come with an, we started with the passion. You know, we mm -hmm. talked about passion and now we're ending with responsibility. And I think that it's these two things that if we uh, merge them, it gives, uh, let's say, uh, what we need to more or less see the, the future. We need to get the passion for the information system, but we also need to show the responsibility towards the information system and taking the two things, let's say, from a perspective of the society where we are living, connecting, and now in the global uh, 
uh, aspects that we're learning. So I think that if we try to do our work with passion, which includes suffering, but also when we are presenting our, let's say, uh, philosophical thinking or philosophical constructs or theoretical or empirical research, we also need to show responsibility. And as the field is pluralistic, we need to show this pluralism or different directions where things can go to the students so they could be aware what is happening in the in the in the in the system and in that way we are actually making it um, yeah better society through better scholarship in a way yeah yeah it's a it's a big thing to think about <laughs> yeah well but we don't have time now because we are Feeling very nice, um, productive talk for almost an hour, more than an hour. And I would like just to ask, do you have something which you feel that we didn't touch during our talk and should be, let's say, uh, presented, explicated at the end? Or if not? I think it's been great. I think um, if if nothing else, then I just certainly wish everyone good health and uh, well-being yeah. as, as we look into this the future um yep. yeah it's it's a funny time to be an is scholar in the world <laughs> as everything that's happening yeah. uh, and it's it's giving us a lot to reflect on i, I hope yeah uh, I, I certainly know here in australia you know now it's so normal for people to walk into a, a shop or a restaurant and just whip out the phone and scan a qr code and i yeah. i think that's yeah. something that that level of integration between these things that we research and the everyday lives of people i hope that we as a, as a community can have a great time to think about yeah. this. Yeah, yeah. I concur with that and I agree with that. And it's an extremely exciting time. And I, I try to be positive on looking what could we learn from, uh, from it and how we can actually improve our way of uh, living and doing things. But that is what we are going to do in the next period in time, I think. And um, I'm very thankful that uh, you were guest in my uh, Sigfield podcast and um, I'm let's say wishing you a lot of success with your uh, career and I hope that uh, we will see each other again uh, in let's say in this uh, digital uh, world because uh, I don't know will I come to Australia maybe in the future so we can drink coffee uh, and a beer in a pub uh, <laughs> together well, Blair, thank you very much for being uh, a guest uh, and we stay in touch. Have a nice evening. Thank you, Miyashe, and thank you everyone listening in and uh, stay safe. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.